In New Jersey, we found some key Democratic Welcome to this week's episode of Jersey Matters. We're your hosts. I'm Mike Perino. And I'm Casey McLean. This week, we're going to give you a coronavirus update. Then we'll take you to Murphy's Corner. We'll go over his executive orders and some of the things that he's done. And I'll also talk about his like approval ratings. There's a lot of polls that were out, and it's interesting. Then we'll discuss whether or not beaches and schools will be reopened soon, or in the case of schools, in the in the fall. After that, we'll talk about a false letter circulating amongst <laughs> uh, boomers on Facebook about New Jersey. And is it true? What does it mean well, for you? What does it mean for you? Uh, well, it's false, so it's not true. Anyway, <laughs> then we'll talk about New Jersey police uh, broke up a crowd with pepper spray and batons. So we should talk about police brutality a little bit. And after that, uh, or during that, we'll also talk about some protesters, other types of protesters were frustrated with the low turnout at their open New Jersey rally and uh, why that might be. After that, New Jersey uh, councilwoman apologized for calling a New Jersey mayor profane names. Shame, shame. shame. We'll tell the you why corner. that's very shameful. <laughs> <laughs> we will name that, her and shame her. Yes, we will. Absolutely. After the headlines, Casey's going to give us a neighborhood review, and I'm going to talk about why New Jersey millennials leaving New Jersey. Is it because it's expensive? Is it because there's nothing to do here? Is it all of the above? I'll let you know. <laughs> so first up, let's talk about coronavirus updates. Coronavirus update. It's always depressing. Never fun to talk about. We start our episode hot at the top of the show. Exactly. Everyone's wondering how bad is the coronavirus thing like it, or is it part of 5g conspiracy by the global pedophile elite maybe, um, both. maybe both we talked about why those conspiracy theories a couple episodes ago are completely uh, nonsense so what was check the that phrase out. the elitist pedophile ring what was the exact uh, uh... It's, it's it's global pedophile elite yeah okay yeah <laughs> Anyway, uh, so there's currently in New Jersey 135,000 confirmed coronavirus cases and around 8,952 deaths. It seems based off of a graph that I'm looking at on, on Google that the overall trend of new cases are going down, which we were talking a little bit before the show. We, we weren't able to figure out if it's because testing is declining, static or like declining, or if actually uh, cases are going down. I could see it either way. I could actually see that the numbers are going down because we've been in, in months of lockdown for so long. And the weather for most of the time has been very bad. So people were going to stay home anyway. There's not really any reason to go outside. But as we'll talk about later, maybe when, or as we've probably been talking about frequently, as the uh, <laughs> weather gets, you know, nicer, what are people going to do? Are they going to? Are they going to keep social distancing? Are they going to uh, keep, yeah. you know, open mouth sneezing on people? We're, we'll find out what shortly. Do you, what do you think? Do you think I think good? that's my always my concern with data. In my past, I was a data person. I was I became like a linguistic analyst in Dow Jones, working on their product Factiva. So it was this huge archive of news content from around the world. And I had to tag content and try to like move the lever a little bit and making sure that our subject tags were accurate and making sure like regional and organizations and companies were all tagged in the content. So when you search for the content, the right information pops up. And so I got became like an amateur data scientist and understanding what the numbers mean and 
if certain words pop up linguistically, like what that would lead to down the line, like basically they're on the cutting edge of predictive news. So if a certain phrase comes up or certain regions come up, you'll be able to predict in the future, like what's going to happen based on what the news coverage is, which is why news is so important because the information you're feeding to massive audiences, it's going to skew their minds one way or another. You could make people for a war that they never would have been for because you're pushing you know, false information to them, fake news, as uh, Trump likes to say, and that kind of stuff. So when I see numbers that are going down, I always question, well, what, what are the actual um, catalysts to making those numbers go down? So we've talked a lot about in the past testing availability and testing centers being open and the, the broadcasting where those testing locations are and the information being spread about who exactly qualifies for a test, how quickly and how rapid those test results get back to those people. How often are people supposed to be tested? So of the hundreds of people that have been tested, you know, they could have been re-exposed or they could have had a negative result or a positive result that, you know, was a false positive. All these kind of things could happen when you come into the medical testing field with the coronavirus. So I am hesitant to say it's anything good, you know, because people could just not be getting tested. People could be getting false negatives, false positives. And unless you have multiple tests available for multiple New Jersey residents, you really can't make a call whether to open anything based on simply the positive results going down in New Jersey. Because like I said, there's a number of factors that can play into that. And if you know, you're the mayor of Point Pleasant, and you're saying you're going to open your beach, as we'll talk about later, and you're saying so because of this number specifically, it's dangerous. But that's yeah, yeah. So so that's a long winded rant. (laughs) Well, Well, I understand what you're saying. Murphy said yesterday that we're in paradoxical period where um, the number of cases and hospitalizations are falling in New Jersey, but the deaths are rising up. So I, I'm I'm worried that as the state begins to reopen, or just even if the weather is nicer and people go out more, that because there's appears to be less coronavirus cases, people are going to take less precautions. I think there's like essentially three types of people who are uh, living during coronavirus and 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 the coronavirus pandemic. There's the small but like very vocal this is like a hoax and it's just another flu crowd yes then there's uh, of the people who like understand this is a real thing there's the people who like are kind of like us who like understand that you need to like always take precautions like for the foreseeable future about coronavirus until we have like extensive contact tracing and we know like basically everyone who has it um we know like we can like accurately like like we get to a south korea like situation yeah. you know which is like very far off in our future if that all is going <laughs> to happen so like basically we have to maintain safe protocols as, until we have like a vaccine that's proven to work well then there's like the people who are like worried about it but like not deeply worried about it in the sense that we are like they don't understand it and i'm afraid that these people are going to be like well less coronavirus numbers uh so you know, I don't have to take that much precautions. And then just like, we're going to have a second wave of infections. Yeah. I've been talking to a couple of my friends who are in med school or work as uh, nurses and doctors. And, and basically all of them have told me that they personally believe that a second wave of infections is just inevitable. It's um, guaranteed. It's, it's just because 
even if we took all the right precautions, like the American people are just not constitutionally capable of like following basic instructions. I think is like how some of them condescendingly put it, but it's hard to disagree. <laughs> There's the uh, there was always this elementary school test that my one teacher would every year give out to her students, and it was probably like 20 questions. And if you read and the instructions were like, read through all the questions and then proceed with the, the test. I and I one and I failed if, it. You, if you read through all the questions, like number, I think probably like 15 said, simply fill out your name on the top of the sheet and answer the first two questions. And then you're done. Like you don't have to do all the weird stuff. Cause it was like, there were, the, there was math questions. There were things where you had to like clap your hands and like do weird physical things. And it all just showed that the later you progressed in the test was when you actually, and it took the whole class period. If you didn't read the, like the instructions, you know, but that's, that's America, you know, you're given simple instructions and the mat, the majority, and we're all influenced by our neighbors, by our family, by what media we consume, by social media. And you look, I forgot the exact term it is in psychology, but it's like the, like you look for things out in the world to reaffirm your beliefs. So you have those Fox News people who only listen to Fox News and they will listen to other people that affirm their beliefs and they won't bring in any new information. And that's where we're at. So every group that you talked about, the people who thinks it's kind of like a flu, the people who know enough to be, you know, cautious and know we're in this for a long haul. And then there's the people who are weary about it, but not too concerned. And the people who completely believe it's a hoax, like each one of these peop groups of people are looking for the information to reaffirm their bias. And that's how we're going to get a horrific second wave. It's inevitable. <laughs> People, for, people forget that the uh, Spanish flu, the first wave of the Spanish flu killed less people than the second wave. The second wave was like the deadliest part of it. Uh, and that came, I think, in the fall. Uh, uh, so I don't know. I think we're lining up to something similar. Um, the other thing is, I know we're dwelling a lot on this coronavirus update, but I think it's important. It is. <laughs> it's not also just people willfully not following the rules. It's it's There's like structural forces that are like forcing the state possibly to reopen earlier than it should. If the state doesn't get bailed out, Murphy's going to be in a tough situation where he has to either open earlier than he would want to or mass layoff a bunch of state workers, which would be terrible for them, the New Jersey economy and, and all of that. And then the question of whether or not, like how much, how many days or months does that actually, if he does that layoffs, like how long would that actually even keep New Jersey closed anyway? So there's a lot, there's a lot of going in on it that like requires an actual competent federal government to like with an opposition party that will at least try to do something for us. Yeah. And you see it, you see these little rebellions sprouting throughout the country where you have Georgia opening up, but the, I think the mayor of Atlanta was saying, well, Atlanta staying closed. And there are these town mayors who are trying to, you know, be a force in the sea of noncompliance, basically. And Atlanta, like you can't, you can't do so much as a city or a town as you can, at least like it's full state, because what can you do as a mayor? You know what I mean? You can you can only control what you can control. Exactly. All right. I guess let's let's turn to Murphy's Corner. 
So has he done any new executive orders? He's been passing his executive orders as his thing now. So the last one we covered last episode was 136. So Governor Murphy signs executive order extending statutory deadlines for various environmental laws. And that was on the 2nd of May. And then on the 4th, he passed Executive Order 137, which I want to get into really quickly. Governor Murphy signs Executive Order to recognize new fiscal realities due to COVID-19 pandemic. So his press release on this Executive Order says the following. So if you go to nj.gov, Governor News, News, and you can get all those press releases. So this was released on the 4th. So to address the further ongoing disruption, fiscal disruption and uncertainties caused by COVID-19, Governor Phil Murphy today signed Executive Order 137, rescinding Executive Order number 73 that was passed last year when he directed the Department of Treasury to achieve a $1.276 billion surplus by the end of this current fiscal year. So before COVID, he essentially was trying to achieve a surplus. So the Department of Treasury was supposed to, you know, do some financial footwork, fancy footwork to make this happen. And he said about this quote, no one has been more committed to restoring our state's fiscal foundation than I have. We have spent the past two years working nonstop to build surpluses and put money aside for a rainy day fund. However, in the absence of significant federal assistance, we are on the brink of having to make very tough fiscal decisions and a $1.20 billion surplus for this fiscal year is no longer realistic. Treasurer Elizabeth Mayer Malolo said, quote, New Jersey is not alone in dealing with unprecedented budget challenges right now as the crisis continues to unfold. Building our reserves to responsible new heights was one of our paramount fiscal goals. However, COVID-19 has landed us entirely in a new reality. Absent additional funding, federal funding and a substantive borrowing facility, our foremost priority now is ensuring significant cash flow to meet this health crisis head on while also meeting our basic obligations. So that makes sense. It, it, during a like, crisis, states can't necessarily rely yeah. on maintaining good, especially one like New Jersey, where we have a high unemployment now because of uh, uh, COVID requiring a lockdown. I like the word it that way because like people get really mad that the lockdown is making a lot of people unemployed, but like it's the federal government's job to pay us some money during this crisis. And yeah, I mean, they do it through the states, but like they are you know, a lot of problems keeping that going. So like New Jersey's budget is like extremely strained right now. Like they can't there's no possible way it can maintain a, a surplus. Any kind of surplus. No, the revenues are completely destroyed. And it's something we've talked about when we talked about previous administrations where you inherit a lot of debt when you become the governor of New Jersey. It's just is what it is. And you can only rely on your financial plans as long as, you know, once a century pandemic hits, you know, like you, everything goes out the window. So yeah. New Jersey um, needs a bailout. I'll yes. be, I'll be <laughs> ringing that we'll, bell we'll be, until the, the cows come home. I will say <laughs> if Kentucky, Georgia and Alabama and all them get a bailout and yeah. New Jersey doesn't, the things New I will Jersey. say will get us banned from my iTunes. I'm, I will tell you. New Jersey 101.5. So the executive order states the following. So the executive order about the the surplus fiscal is out the window. So that executive order required the state treasurer to monitor achievement of budget savings, monthly revenue collections, and other factors, including usage uh, 
and enrollment trends, legislative activity, and other developments directly affecting fund balances through the fiscal year 2020, and to take any necessary actions to ensure that the estimated closing undesignated fund balance plus the balance in the rainy day fund, when added together, total at least $1.276 billion. So that's gone. In March, the state treasurer disseminated so a voluntary disclosure regarding the several impacts that the COVID-19 pandemic is expected to have on the state's economy and financial condition, including declines in revenue and gross income taxes, corporate business taxes, sales taxes, motor fuel taxes, casino-related taxes, and lottery sales, among other sources of revenue in both fiscal year 2020 and fiscal year 2021, as well as negative impacts on liquidity due to the extension of the state tax filing deadline from April 15, 2020 to July 15, 2020. And then the last thing about this, it says, in early April, in response to the unprecedented fiscal effects of COVID-19, including the decision of the federal government to defer its tax filing deadline from April 15, 2020 until July 15, 2020. The end of fiscal year 2020 was extended by law for three months from June 30th, 2020 until September 30th, 2020. So that means that they're, they're planning and everything that would have been in their fiscal year, they're extending. So that's interesting because I don't know when do you go. That's another thing I want to bring up is like, when do you go back to normal? You know what I mean? Is this... <laughs> going to be a permanent thing where you're now going to decrease the the length of the next fiscal year plans into a more consolidated to revert back to the previous timeline, amongst other things like the different laws have passed. But also from it, like a more abstract perspective, it kind of shows you how arbitrary these periods are. Yes. Because like if you could just extend the quarter, it, it, you, like does the quarter it, exist? It, it, the stuff, the stuff just meet. <laughs> It's supposed to just meet the demands of whatever they're using it for. So like it's, you, you know what I'm saying? It's yeah. It's it's time arbitrary. Is, it's it's time strange. Is a social construct is possible. Um, yeah. Is, is it real? Is it not? What is that? Uh, Find detective, out. Uh, true detective. Episode. Exactly. True detective. Um, did you see that with uh, season one? Matthew uh, McConaughey. Yeah, Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. Like time is a circle. Like. <laughs> yeah, time is like a flat circle, man. The theory of time is real. All pieces of time or points of time just at the same time and i'm like yeah i don't understand what's going on but yeah, uh but now you do good stuff watch that watch that <laughs> but back to the rest of his executive orders we have um a few more so 138 signed on the 6th governor murphy signs executive order extending public health emergency in new jersey that's just the routine one surprise every yeah, month they only last yeah every month yeah <laughs> Because there's a lot that, of reporting on it. They're like, he can extended it. And I'm like, was there any doubt? Yeah. And then this is, is another, this one is a major one I'm very concerned about. Executive Order 139, Governor Murphy directs U.S. and New Jersey flags to fly a half staff in honor of the 75th anniversary of VE Day. This is on May 8th. So my concern, back to quarter again. Like, did it, I dug into this. So yes, uh, uh, Executive please. Order 114. <laughs> is half staff indefinitely right yes. that that order has never been rescinded the other orders because just last week there was the executive order or on the 30th yeah for honoring the first lady that was only for one day okay so on so technically on that day and on is it, is it yesterday yesterday it was the eighth it should have been quarter staff because <laughs> <laughs> a half and a half is a quarter. Well, when you multiply, not when you yeah. add five or add. Um, so that's that's how I view, view that. I mean, I don't know the full flag etiquette and culture, but I would have flew it 
quarterstaff unless the unless the it would have touched the ground. Yeah, That's what I would have and, done. or does it mean the opposite of like half staff indefinitely for COVID, and then on this day it's not about COVID, it's about First Lady Debbie Keene, and then on oh, this like day, changing like changing the meaning of the half. Yeah. Staff. But then again, like if I, I was, would, if I was a journalist in the news conference, those were the questions I would ask him. The hard hit <laughs> ones. Explain, explain the half staff stuff. <laughs> explain how we honor people with the half staff because we are concerned that the flags are too low. The last one, last executive order, Governor Murphy, Executive Order 140. He names Restart and Recovery Advisory Council. That was done same day of VE Day honoring. On the eighth, so that's yeah. all. We went over that before corner. about how he was going to create a restart recovery advisory yeah. council and like plan. So just to refresh listeners, uh, he had a six-point plan not too long ago. I think it was a week or two ago now. Step one was basically creating a committee that would figure he out charged. with balancing the health and economic aspects of it and putting in and creating a plan to put in place. So that seems to be what what this is. I think I think there was a previous executive order we went over where it was like the creation of of this council. So I'm so this one like I guess actually appoints people to it. So, yeah. Yes. So he is he's naming the I guess he's putting together his his dream team with this one. Yeah, because on April from the order on April uh, 28th, 2020, he said he signed the executive order number 131 in 2020 to establish the governor's restart recovery commission, which is charged with providing guidance to the governor for reopening the New Jersey economy in a manner consistent with the state's public health efforts to slow the spread of COVID-19. So that's just basically what this is. This is a continuation of of that. Yeah. Further elaborating what their purposes are and uh, things like that. So. Yeah, it looks like he's he's working along his plan, which is good. It's better than other states that don't have plans. I'm just like, <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> for those who don't know, Murphy's six-point plan has three more points than the federal plan. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's actually funny. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know there was a federal plan. So yeah, uh, the federal plan was like three different waves. They called it like basically, one. you know, phase one, phase two, phase three. Uh, A six-point plan has three more points than that plan. So. Good. Good on you, Murphy. All right. I have an update on Murphy's <laughs> approval ratings. And, you know, we might be wondering, what do New Jersey residents think of the governor's actions and his and Do they like him? Job? Yeah. Do they love it? And because we're like semi-critical of, of Murphy. Like we, we, I say semi-critical because we like also praise a lot that he does, but we like criticize him uh, where we think he uh, has shortcomings. And I was pretty surprised at his approval rating. So according to a Rutgers-Eagleton poll released this past Wednesday, so when was that, the 6th? Sure. Murphy has a 77% job approval rating with just 21% disproving it. And that wow. actually surpassed Governor Chris Christie's job approval rating, of course. which was uh, <laughs> 73% in February of 2013. And more than 7 in 10 New Jersey residents basically said that Murphy gets an A or a B, like in terms of how he's doing. There was also, there was actually multiple polls on this so uh, from different polling institutes. It wasn't just Rutgers-Eagleton. There was a Quinnipiac uh, University survey, which showed that 68% of New Jerseyans uh, approved his, his performance as governor with only 23% disapproving. And there was also a Monmouth University poll, which said that 71% of the state's residents approved of Murphy's job and only 21% disproved. And there was some further information. A total of 65% in the Quinnipiac poll said that Murphy's actions during the coronavirus stuff were just right, with actually 20% saying that they did not go far enough. 
and only 14% saying they went too far. So actually around, not that you can necessarily combine them, but like around 85% think that he's doing the right thing or needs to do just a little bit more but compared to you know, only 14% saying that yeah, he's gone too far. And 71% of voters in the Quinnipiac survey said they supported keeping people home to fight the coronavirus rather than reopening the economy. So I actually, I was really happy with, because like overall, it seems like a lot of New Jersey, New Jerseyans have a similar feelings about the governor that, that like I kind of do, like at least during this crisis, like overall, I think he's doing a good job. I'm kind of more with that 20% that says that he's not going far enough in certain measures, but I, I still like in comparison to the majority of governors uh, in this country, uh, I would say he's doing like a, a pretty decent job right now. And I'm really happy with the 71% saying like, you know, we need to keep supporting people staying home, not reopening the economy too early. So exactly. I was, I was happy with that. Yeah. And that brings me, that brings up to, for me, cause I, one of my friends reached out to me and he has never voted Republican ever, but he's thinking about voting Republican because he was actually one of that 20% who don't think Murphy's doing enough. And as we've said before, my friend was blaming Murphy for property taxes being increased and whatnot. So we had, I had to tell him like, oh, well, we talk about it all the time on the pod about how it's, it's a city town issue who's increasing or decreasing property taxes. But my friend is thinking about helping the a possible Republican candidate for governor. So I want to shed some light really quickly on the Republican. The, the news article does say how to pronounce his name. So I am going to try my best to listen to what the article is saying, how to pronounce his name. So it's pronounced Chet Aureli. So it's spelled C-I-A-T-T-A-R-E-L-L-I, pronounced Cetarelli. But all his, all his signage is Jack for governor, which I always think is funny. Like if someone uses their last name or their first name as their, you know, their campaign slogan thing, I don't know what to call it, but like, I like Ike kind of stuff. So Jack for is, Joe or whatever it is. <laughs> Um, he's like an everyday kind of guy who worked on Wall Street. So <laughs> kind of guy you can have a beer with on Wall Street. So he calls Murphy an out-of-touch interloper. And he says he himself is a fiscally sound alternative who will lower taxes and fix our broken state. And he was gonna usher, he planned, he vowed to usher in the first new state constitution in decades. Oh and wow, ambitious. This is Yes, this is a time when Murphy's actually announced, I think, publicly that he's going to run for a second term, which is his right to. And so the, let me pronounce it correctly, the gubernatorial uh, well uh, election. <laughs> okay, we have some like applause, like sound effects. <laughs> yes, yeah, so the 2020 race is coming up, you know, it's next year. And Chattarelli, if I pronounce his name correctly, he is a former Somerset County politician. He served in the state assembly from 2011 to 2018. And he is the first Republican like nominee to throw his hat into the ring. So we might see a few more Republicans. We might, who, do you think Sweeney might try to take over Murphy's spot or no? <laughs> um, good question. I'm thinking not right now. Yeah, because he's like he's, a snake in the weeds. I imagine if, Murphy's approval ratings were low. He would try to primary him. But yeah. with how uh, many people are liking and approving of Murphy's performance right now, 
my guess is he's not going to do it because it would seem pretty unpopular to run against a like crisis time governor. Yeah, and this article is from NewJersey.com, just FYI, from Brent Johnson. But I do want to call out what Chattarelli says about Murphy. He says, quote, Murphy doesn't get it. Maybe it's because he's not from New Jersey. Maybe it's because he doesn't understand New Jersey. Bottom line is, he's not New Jersey. Like, <laughs> um, I don't know. The polling seems to say otherwise that he actually people really uh, like what he's doing. And that's the thing about New Jersey is like everyone comes here. And if you want to live here, you're a New Jerseyan. Like you're bringing your own flavor into the melting pot that is the crazy, weird geographical location that is New Jersey. Like a, a lot of right winger politicians in New Jersey try to play like this, like they try to act like they're a Texan, like a Texan candidate in like New Jersey. Like Texan candidates will constantly, if they're listening, like, like this is what Texas is like. Like oh, that's a terrible <laughs> Texan accent. Not, that was and, and I can't do it. So um, I'm not going to edit that out. I'm proud of my failures. So anyway, they all talk about that. But like, I feel like most New Jerseyans just like roll their eyes at that kind of stuff where it's just, like, I don't care. I literally, I, I don't care. I don't care. I have no like, specific pride of being a new jersey and i like the, the things about, about new jersey I'm, i like and i'm proud that are in the state but like when someone starts speaking like that's not what the new jerseyans want like i'm the one who wants yeah. things for you i'm like like give me specifics bro that's yeah. why that's why i want to know what do you want what do you exactly. want to do like what are you gonna do and i i want to bring up him before not before anyone else throws their hand in the, the hat into the race but i do want to Highlight that for our listeners that here he is coming in already during the pandemic, which we talked about with Colin, founder of Fieldwinds. How exactly do you campaign during COVID? And if the election's next year, it's not a lot of time. You need to get your name out there early on. And people are, you know, sitting around not doing anything because they can't leave their house, essentially, because we're all in quarantine in New Jersey, and rightfully so. So how do you adequately campaign and don't be disrespectful and try to upseat this governor who has this higher like it's the highest approval rating he's ever had i think in his yeah and i think it's like a record in new jersey yeah. too it seemed, it, I, I tried to confirm that but that's kind of how uh nj.com wrote about yeah. it so i assume i assume they're right on this and jack hasn't said much about his stances if you go to his website he does say something a little concerning about immigration in new jersey and how he doesn't want it to be a uh, sanctuary state which i'm not for you know <laughs> like it's a typical republican stance and i think new jersey was founded on immigration very obviously we talked about the history of new jersey a couple episodes ago yeah, so, yeah. for anyone exactly. that is anti-immigration and actually says they want to like bring in ice and work more closely like oh, 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 we're, one of, we're <laughs> one of the most diverse states and i actually like that about new jersey yes. because it's interesting to meet people with different cultural backgrounds and uh, that's, that's part of what new jersey is and trying to import this like white like texan ethnocentric <laughs> texan kind of like attitude republicanism it doesn't work. And that's why they don't win. Chris yeah. won because of like the exceptional circumstances of the scandal of the governor before him yeah. and the Democrats not having a proper person. And uh, yeah, you we went saw over the year, how Christine the Tyler, won, <laughs> she won basically through like this, a similar set of circumstances. Like that's just how Republicans get elected in New Jersey at yeah. the governor level is, is 
you know, the Democrats commit some kind of like crazy corrupt scandal. They don't have they, a, oh, someone else to run, and then the yeah. Republican wins. Yeah, and they're like, this Republican kind of seems like they're okay on the surface. Up, yeah. turns out they're racist. Up, turns out they're corrupt. Up, up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every time. Every time. <laughs> so moving on, do you want to talk about whether the beaches or schools will reopen soon, yes. or maybe in fall, or are they well, ever? That's up for debate. So according to the, we talked about it, I, I want to say last episode about New Jersey beaches possibly opening and the, the mayor of Point Pleasant Beach saying that he has all these different ideas. I think right now he's actually supposed to be thinking about it. He had that on his schedule about thinking about thinking about opening things. So USA Today posted an article by the Associated Press, I guess. I don't know if they edited it at all or just did like the press release and posted it. So the title of it is New Jersey Governor Says Public Beaches on Jersey Shore Must Reopen to Everyone, Not Just Residents. So that is something that we talked about last week with the mayor saying that they're only going to have taxpayers and residents on the beaches as a first wave of opening. So he didn't um, even confirm that his plan was like legally allowed. <laughs> Wouldn't it be New Jersey if someone <laughs> didn't consider the legal ramifications? <laughs> oh, you can't make this stuff up. Really so can't. the article says American taxpayers help pay for the sand on the Maryland Avenue beach, a popular spot on the New Jersey shore that was devastated by Superstorm Sandy. And that has since been rebuilt and maintained with federal money. So slated to reopen mid-May, the plan was for residents only of Point Pleasant Beach to use it at first, at least. But on Friday, New Jersey's governor, Mr. Murphy, threw cold water on that plan, which is being used by some shore towns around the country as they inch back toward resuming normal activities in the midst of coronavirus outbreak. So Governor Murphy said that the reopening of beaches is a local decision, but in doing so, the entire public has to be allowed on the sand. So as we talked about before, beaches in New Jersey are an attractive nuisance. So if you open them and you say you can only open them for certain people, that's where it gets a little hairy. And this article is pointing towards that. Murphy said, quote, a township cannot actually legally restrict folks from outside of their township. So that's not actually within their right to do so. So there's also just besides looking at people's license plates, just the question of like, how would you even do it? Exactly. Like how? Even if it was legally allowed, how would you go about actually doing it? And if you're a resident and you you could own, like there's no restrictions from owning property from outside the state. So someone could be from New York. Someone could be from with Maryland. A car, with, with a car registered in like Maryland. Yeah, and you yeah. could come here and say, I pay tax, I own this property, I'm a resident, I'm going on the beach. And then you have no way, like, are you going to have temperature scans at the beaches? Are you going to, you would have, you, know? you, would ha you would have to have, like, badges that they only give out to people who own, like, property or, or a residence in the area and some kind of, set up a weird bureaucratic <laughs> thing that just is, like, why even do that? Just yes. and this, this article goes on to say long-established law in New Jersey, including a 1984 state Supreme Court ruling, says that public beaches must be open to everyone, not just local residences. So New Jersey apparently has the second largest number of coronavirus cases in the nation, only trailing New York, <laughs> the epicenter. And officials are saying in the Jersey Shore towns of Shipbottom, Harvey Cedars, Long Beach Township, they're all trying to designate their beaches as residents only. But again, we're going to see how 
this plays out because it's one person, the president of Citizens' Right to Access Beaches, uh, Ralph Corsica, said, quote, how can it be constitutional that a person who lives near the beach can go on it, but a person who lives a few blocks away across the town line can't? So yeah, we'll see how this plays out in the future because beaches, I've said, and I'll say it until I'm blue in the face, are not essential. You know, it's going to be devastating for those economies, those local economies that heavily rely on tourism. But this is a once in a lifetime situation where people are dying from something they cannot see and they cannot prevent from spreading beyond social distancing and staying at home. And we can't be like California. We can't just have people rush to the beaches, spread up more. It's just really not a good idea. And it also just stresses again, I'm going to keep pushing it, the need for our state to be bailed out because these shore economies are going to be like destroyed. These towns are going to have have very hard time coping with the economic hit uh, this summer to this. And it's and, not just the yeah. the shore town, it's the people right. who work in them. They're in Long Beach Island. Mm-hmm. I know that there were people from overseas that came to the to the area to work. And they oh, a lot of people go to come overseas to go to Six Flags even, not even just the shore, yeah. like to work there. So like, yeah, I imagine this is just going to be difficult for a lot of people who like depend this kind of like a uh, uh, tourist labor. Yeah. And then this brings me to the next point that we wanted to talk about schools opening in the fall. A North Jersey article titled, Will New Jersey Reopen in the Fall? Here's what Governor Murphy had to say. This is by Stacey Barchinger. Well said. (laughs) We should just have a drinking game for our listeners wherever we mispronounce a word or a name. It's drink, you know. Whenever we talk about state bailout, drink. Whenever we say Murphy, drink. It'll be a really good time because Murphy's Corner, we say it so often, then you'll just listen to the rest of the show and maybe black out and forget we're in quarantine. Forget forget awful attempts at like uh, uh, mocking Texan accents. Like you won't even remember any (laughs) of the embarrassing You would think it sounded like a Texan accent. Yeah, you'd be like, wow, Mike's really good at that. (laughs) Maybe he should have a side career as a comedian or something. Anyway, anyway, what's uh, what's going on with schools? Schools, for the most part, I think all the schools are closed. I think that's a given. And it says, this article says, school buildings across New Jersey are closed for the rest of the academic year. But beyond that, and specifically when children will be able to return to the classroom in the fall is uncertain. And I do want to point out to our listeners that I spent a little chunk of my life in Virginia. So I'm constantly working on saying when instead of when. I've been made fun of this before. So please don't judge me. I'm not mispronouncing it. It's just a residual Southern accent that comes through every now and again. So Murphy and Education Commissioner Lamont Rebellet said uh, in Monday news conference, discussions about summer school and the upcoming year that begins in the fall are underway. The state is consulting with parent organizations, local school boards, education, local officials as it figures out a plan for education going forward. Murphy said on Monday, without providing any additional details, that, quote, there is a lot to consider about how the school day may differ once our students and faculty return. So it's looking like what Murphy's been saying about a lot of things opening and reopening is, like, basically we'll see, you know? like. <laughs> so is it not looking like we're going to reopen schools on the 15th? Because that's what a lot of people were wondering if that's going to happen. And, and I kind of, I think not just because he extended the the emergency. Yes. 
So and I kind of we kind of guessed that my theory was he was just trying to do that to get like the like parents off his back to like stop asking him these questions like oh, yeah we'll think about it we'll think about it like stop asking me this question like it's a pandemic. He can't make any decisions until the numbers go down to the point where he can actually make decisions. And if the numbers aren't going down, he can't make any hard decisions. Like that's just it, it is what it is. So it's a constant to be continued dot 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 yeah. because you can't like I know California. Last time I checked on the news, they were saying that they were opening schools maybe in July, August. And a lot of people were shocked about that. But some schools in California just normally open up in August. And it's just maybe if you're going to college, maybe go to a community college because it's not going to be worth paying tuition for a prestigious, like expensive out of state school. I have to when do you online could, classes. Yeah, and have to do online classes. Like, what's the point? So I, I, I was thinking, uh, I've been wondering the implications of this for an entire generation of people who might have to defer for a whole year. Yeah. Like, they, like that's not, might not be a bad idea for people to, like, like, yeah, I'm not going to pay a lot of money to go to college right now where I can't even attend classes and have to, like, do online stuff like why would i do that yeah um, not that online classes are bad but if you, if the experience that you're wanting to get is is in-person education and you're paying the rate of in-person education and not online classes then i understand not wanting to <laughs> pay that <laughs> extra premium for to get the thing that you're not getting like and it's also there are some rumors and some murmurs going around the, the blogosphere and the different news outlets about student loan debt being canceled and there are even figures being thrown out there about like 50,000 being forgiven just straight up to help boost the economy. I don't because... know why they don't just forgive all of it. We print out more money for rich people. <laughs> uh, no, seriously. It, it, no, it's I like, know. I it's agree. like a $1.5 trillion student loan debt total, and we print out $2.5 trillion for rich people. Yeah. And yeah, it's forgive it for us. Yeah. And Rutgers, the state university, announced um, President Barchi said that. They are not increasing the tuition rates, which is year over year, they increase tuition and there's no guarantee that you'll get a job, but they're going to raise your the cost of your education every year because they feel like it and they want to expand and they want to make more money because education is now a for-profit business everywhere. A little angry about that, especially because we're all on this podcast, we're both have Rutgers grads. And the fact that he was not increasing tuition for once, he was applauded for, but how about you? you decrease the cost of tuition because what are you paying for? You know what I mean? Like exactly. There's going to be no jobs. That's the issue is you're taking your students money. You're just not increasing it this year, but you're taking it and you're going to give them an online class <laughs> for their thousands of dollars of tuition. And then you're going to give them a diploma that they could have got for like the Phoenix uh, classes. Like, yeah. Not to dwell on this too too long, but because um, I think we're already going pretty, we're, we're pretty slow through <laughs> these headlines. But uh, <laughs> anyway, I was looking. This is a serious issue that pe students need to look at, and like their parents need to make these decisions with them. I was personally looking at like a certification, right? I was like, oh, maybe I can get a teach English as a foreign language certification. Yeah. What would that take, right? So I was like, oh, let me go on Rutgers and see like what it is. And I saw it. I'm like, this is expensive. And yeah. like in a normal time, yeah, I would be. Uh, in person. So at least I go like, it's expensive, but you know, I get that hands-on personal like training, but now I'm like, why don't I just get like an online certificate? Like, like that's the thing. Like, I was thinking <laughs> yeah. that I'm not even like a, like going for like a, a degree. I already did that years ago. It's like, yeah. yeah. If you're paying extra money to get a 
a education. education at university. Like I, I don't blame people to either just defer uh, or um, uh, switch to cheaper sources of education and then try to transfer in later. Uh, that might be a good idea. It's very tough decisions that people have to make uh, yeah. in all parts of life right now because of uh, the coronavirus. And in my opinion, the only, and we're focusing a lot on college, but in my opinion, school does not matter until you are in high school. And then the only thing that matters is your GPA in, in the event that you want to go to college. And then when you're in college, your GPA only matters if you want to go to grad school. And <laughs> that's just it. The only really negative thing about schools not reopening sooner are people who their kids rely on school lunches. And that's really the the real pain, I think, about schools not reopening and, and kids not being able to socialize and kids being from um, terrible homes and they have to be with like maybe abusive parents or um, parents who have different kinds of addiction or mental health issues or even themselves having mental health or any kind of addiction issues, not being able to leave the house and get the kind of care they need. So those are the only negative impact. And then also parents are probably going crazy with their kids. But um, yeah, I've seen a lot of that on social media and I understand it. No, I don't <laughs> have kids. I c- couldn't do it. So um, <laughs> let's uh, all right, let's try to blow through these last few headlines yeah. and move into our segments. I have information on a false newsletter that was being circulated around. This is from NBCNewYork.com. New Jersey is open to New Yorkers, despite the internet rumors. <laughs> I'm going to read the article because it's hilarious. Don't, don't believe everything you read on the internet, especially if it says you can't enter New Jersey. A fake albeit official-looking, advisories doing the rounds, suggesting that New York residents cannot enter New Jersey as of May 10th. That is not true, New Jersey Homeland <laughs> Security officials said on Wednesday. <laughs> they okay, had looking at it, it, it doesn't look real at all. It, 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 it looks like, like weird exact, <laughs> It's like, God, it, it just looks so fake. It's got four different, what do you call it? Like Fonts? those symbols? Symbols oh. uh, that they use? I'm, I'm blanking on the word, but you know what I mean? Like the, the state seals uh, oh. up top. Uh, for yeah. departments that don't even make any sense, like why would the National like Chaplains Association have anything to do with? Does it? Does it politics? have um some Lisa Frank stickers on it too? It's signed by somebody. Uh, it's supposed to be signed by somebody who works for Health and Human Services, and uh, like just the wording of everything's off. And let's be real, it's boomers that fell for this. It's right, like like they. It's right. Am I wrong? It's boomers, it's the, the same. The- I don't want to say it's boomers specifically. I want to say it's the same people who get a suspicious email and they click on all the links and download the files in that email. Yeah, the same That's the kind. same yeah. group of people who, <laughs> who get a, who get a letter in the mail that says, please cash this check for the orphans. Um, I want to give them presents, but I need you to cash the check and then send the money to the orphanage. And I don't know if you got one of those ever, but it's basically like a, a money mule kind of thing where you cash the check, but it's a it fraudulent check. And then you transfer the funds, any kind of funds over to another account. And while the check is clearing in yours, all the funds that were in your account that were real go into the other account. But it's a classic. Same, you don't need classic. To. State officials said it appeared to be legitimate letterhead. I don't know how they said that because it looked awful. Oh. Uh, but with Altered typo filled text and the signature of a fictitious person from a non existent a- state agency. That, guys, does that's how you figure out if it's real or not? Try to Google if the state agency even exists. Try to yeah. Google if the person actually works, is a real person and works there. And that will be your key. <laughs> yeah. Call, call, well, at this point, don't, don't bother calling them, but like, yeah. 
take basic and, security and know precautions. if it was real murphy would have spoken about it you would have seen a press conference about it you would have seen news articles about yeah. it like this isn't something that people kind of news that people have just like oh let's circulate this That's, on facebook yeah, exactly you, you would <laughs> it'd be more than just some random you know facebook meme you received now the question oh, is, should it happen? That's something different. We, yeah. we can't have time to get into that. I'll <laughs> talk about that later. So moving on, I wanted to talk about the police broke up a crowd with uh, pepper spray and batons, and this was kind of a uh, viral video. Yeah, that was. Uh, I remember seeing that go along around the social media, um, just like screenshots of that. I never saw the video until just now. But definitely police brutality, definitely it's disturbing excessive the watch. force. So it's a, at one point, it looks like dozens of officers are attacking the crowd and probably like five or six officers are just wailing on a guy who is already on the ground yeah, with a baton, hands behind his back, it looks like. And, and where is this in New Jersey? Jersey City. Wow. Yeah, so I'm going to read a little bit from this NBC News article because I think it's important about how NBC News frames it and yeah, the news channel does it generally, but also yeah. like what the police are saying. So, and that's I I do want to say really quickly that yeah, it's another issue in the pandemic that I've been seeing. Some people talk about some whispers about it on social media, but in neighborhoods that are affluent, you have very calm kind of police interactions with people trying to enforce social distancing. It's very nonviolent. And then in urban areas, it's looking like the exact opposite. Of exactly. Oh, that's well said. So we all saw the video, or maybe, I don't know if you, did you see it, the video of um, New Yorkers on that nice day, uh, all in the park, and none of them <laughs> buying by, and then like the police officers trying to hand out um, masks and like nobody... Uh, yeah. uh, doing anything and that there's no like mass beatings and stuff like that no. but in jersey city with like a larger black population uh of that area there there were this kind of overreaction to uh people like where should they have been crowding up like that no but like do they deserve to get beaten no, no. like that like that's not a way you enforce the law like that that's terrible and and it is a blatant double standard because that doesn't happen to like more affluent white people who don't respect the rules. Yeah. Um, so so the so Janelle Griffith of NBC News said that reported that the authorities are saying that the use of batons and pepper spray was justified, and some of the viral videos have been edited. And I hate <laughs> the way they do this because because okay, so they're trying to say the video has been edited. If you watch the video, it cuts from like. A little bit time later to a little bit further time, but like that doesn't negate the doesn't, fact it's not maliciously edited, <laughs> and they don't even claim that it's maliciously edited. We can watch the 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 beating of 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 people who are defenseless against police officers. Yeah, we can watch that. Okay, and the other thing is, you know, just because something's edited again doesn't mean it's deceptively or maliciously edited. We yeah. edit all the time on here. We'll like yeah. post a clip <laughs> of a news thing. Right. And we'll edit it so that way you don't listen to 45 minutes of Fox News and you only listen to like a minute of, of the segment that covers yeah. like what we're talking about. Does that mean because we edited it, the things that we said about that or what happened on there aren't true because it's been yeah. edited? That's what the police are trying to state here. And, you know, Janelle Griffith here doesn't try to at all refute video because is like not no real. One, yeah. No but also one the authorities wants... 
recognize that the use of Baton's pepper spray was justified too. Yeah, and so, no one so simultaneously what you're seeing isn't happening, but if it is what you're happening, it it's authorized. It's, yeah, it's justified. Yeah. But no one wants to say anything negatively about police. That's yeah. that's it. And people who um, who are in the district attorney's office, they don't want to say anything negative because it's a it's a I don't know what to call it, but it's like a I forgot the phrase, but you have to, as a public official, like a DA or a mayor, rep mayoral representative, anyone in legal, the legal realm, you have to respect and give the benefit of the doubt to the police officers because your lives are in the hands of police officers. When you prosecute heinous criminals, you're relying on the the court system and the police to protect you in doing your job and and prosecuting these violent criminals. And right, so, yeah, so and I want to read it. Go ahead. Yeah, but, okay. but that's all to say that just because you respect a majority of officers, you can still in the same breath acknowledge that some officers are bad, just like everyone's supporting healthcare workers and essential workers. Yes, that's great that they're doing it, but you're still seeing some footage coming out of nurses being awful to patients, you know, it's, and doctors not treating patients correctly. It's all these things that the majority, yes, are good, but there are still bad apples in that bunch that spoil it for the rest of people. And these officers are spoiling it and they are spoiling it by being racist and abusive and they should be prosecuted to the full extent I, of law. I want like, to reinforce that point a little bit about how the news media reports on this stuff. So they're talking about what the police officers stated. They said there were three 911 calls that they received within a short time on Tuesday. And the last call indicated 100 people were involved, right? Now, here's what how NBC talks about this. They say that they, they spend a lot of time talking about how the public safety director said that the police were still covering video and that some of the video being posted is clearly edited. Again, trying to imply that what happened didn't happen. Then they say that videos posted to social media that have been widely shared showed officers striking people with a baton during the altercation. NBC News has not been able to verify what happened before or after the events shown on the videos. There were, a, you can watch it, there were like a hundred people. I mean, I didn't see a hundred, but like at least a couple dozen people there. Yeah. You weren't able to interview witnesses. Yeah. You were you're a multi-billion dollar news agency at NBC News, and you aren't able to send people to, you know, our small remote town called Jersey City <laughs> to interview witnesses that you have on video when you know what street it is. There's yeah. that there was a bunch of witnesses. You could have cut out corroborating the their, like their stuff. You can't do that. Instead, they just spend most of the time just talking about how the video has been edited, edited. but the, but but they never say that it's actually falsely edited. They just say like, well, the police are saying it's edited. The police are saying it's edited, but we talked to like one person, they said that it was really bad what happened. And that, this last part I want to talk about real quick, which cracks me up. Pepper spray was deployed, but had no effect. And I said this officer, so an officer used an expandable baton on two men who were wrestling with police officers. Pepper spray had no effect. Like, is this like, were they magical? Yeah. How, how, pepper spray hurts. Pepper yeah. spray has an effect. What do you mean the pepper spray had no effect? It, it, means, <laughs> it means that they did not correctly discharge the pepper spray. That's what that means. And then they had to, they were, and that's a thing that you see a lot in these circumstances where it's, whether it's police officers, whether it's people in the military who have a military background. And I speak this from being from a military family. A lot of people in those backgrounds are trained to, you know, shoot to kill. 
they're trained to basically put someone into a position where they are disarmed and unable to hurt you. You know what I mean? You're trained to, with that shoot to kill mentality, you're trained to disarm and basically obliterate the enemy. And you have a lot of people who are trigger happy who join the police force or join the military because they have one vendetta or another that they want to take out on another person. And when they have just, you know, just cause to inflict pain and violence on another person, they are not going to hesitate to it. So by de- miss, you know, deploying their their pepper spray, they are now justified in using their baton, and they're now justified in being super violent in a circumstance that doesn't call for it. Exactly. So shame on the police here, and shame on NBC News for not really trying on how to report about something that was pretty serious. And they they did in the article. To be fair to them, a little bit, they did interview a few people, and they basically said. You know, from my understanding, it, this guy was saying the police were sent to dispatch a fight or to, to stop a fight from happening. And by the time they got there, the fight was basically already over. And then, like, they just told people to go back into their homes, but they were already doing that. And then, like, they escalated everything, which, based off what we know from the pool, how the police act all the time, like, yeah, that sounds to me like what happens. Sounds like a trend. And also, you have, you have, they, they claim there was 100 people there. You have 100 people you could interview as witnesses to this event, and you couldn't find enough evidence about figure out what happened it's, it's nonsense it's absolutely yeah. and I terrible think it's a thing of where you if you've been wronged by the police before you distrust the police and then the police will sense that distrust coming from you and i think it could have been a situation where someone could have said something negative to the cop that like set him off and i mean i'm just speculating at this point but i'm trying to figure out like what could have happened in the situation that went from calm to complete disruption you know what you mean like and it's having to train officers how to keep their cool and train them to interact with people in communities that they're not familiar with you know what i mean yeah. like yeah all right you see, so, it, you see it all the time moving on real quick so some protesters apparently are frustrated by the low turnout at open new jersey rallies and i find that really funny so i just wanted to mention that after that terrible thing yeah, well, we New Jersey is at a whole, un- generally understands what we're doing. I mean, Murphy's approval rating isn't for nothing. Like, yeah, we just talked about that. We so. get it. <laughs> they were expecting uh, like a lot of people to show up. It doesn't say how many in this news article, but uh, they were surprised that so few did. Um, yeah, maybe area. because you're holding signs like uh, social distancing. I'm looking at the thing here. Social distancing equals communism. And some of your signs are spelled wrong. Maybe people recognize that you're not the brightest group of people, and that's why they don't want to associate that, and they'd rather stay inside and not get coronavirus. Yeah. So I don't think it's some conspiracy there. Moving on real quick, because we got to talk about this. This is terrible. A New Jersey lawmaker is currently under fire after giving a homophobic rant about a uh, gay mayor. So... Councilwoman Robin Vaughn targeted Mayor Reed uh, Gussiara on Saturday in a 54-minute call to update legislators on the number of coronavirus cases in the state. I'm reading from uh, NBC News. They said that, man, it's it's actually terrible. I almost don't want to repeat this stuff. So (laughs) Vaughn said that the only thing Gussiara brought to the city hall was, quote, a bunch of young boys, and they're sitting up there in a mayor's suit but then called him a drug addict pedophile who needs to get the F out of office and get the F out of Trenton. 
She then accused a colleague, Councilman Joe Harrison, of having a sexual relationship with Gusiora and said neither were, quote, real men. Wow. Holy, like, shame on that. How are they elected in our, our state? So yeah. later they apologized. Um, so everything's good. They said, I apologize. <laughs> um, I'm deeply and specifically sorry for the language that has offended many. Oh, I hate that. I hate that way they apologize. That you're I'm sorry offended. for I'm, I'm sorry, sorry that you're offended. You're offended. <laughs> yeah, no, you're terrible. Resign. Like that's yeah. they actually resign. That's that's a terrible thing to call. Like first of all, they're your colleagues, right? Yeah. So not that that would be okay with against anybody, but you have to have some mutual respect for other long makers just as in working in your own field, right? Like yeah. secondly, did, where did she say this? Like, did she do this on social media? Did she do this in the news? In a, it was in a call. Let me let me double check. I I, I it was in a call to update like it was on a like, like a work like, call like a work call they're updating legislators on the number of coronavirus cases in the state and she just goes on this like rant wow yeah it's crazy See, I, if you're gonna be you know homophobic or racist or anything like that do it behind closed doors and like talk into a pillow until you like kind of start you can't breathe while you're talking and then pass out and then let that be a lesson to you. But to be in public on a call, like on a, a business call and to be saying this kind of stuff, you know? Yeah, so it's not the first time that she said awful stuff. Apparently uh, she has a long history of demeaning remarks. And last September, she defended Trenton City Council President Kathy McBride's use of the phrase, Jew her down, referring well to a city attorney. So, okay, first of all, there's two people here who are saying, like, awful stuff and then defending each other for it. Following criticism, she she apologized. So apparently, the, the apologies are just meaningless. Guy, vote her out. Yeah, vote <laughs> her terrible. out. Get, and then whoever's running against her, um, just... Don't be like get her. That on a, get, just repeat these, like, news articles over and over again, and then slowly she'll just drop out. Yeah. All right. Uh, so, Casey, you wanted to talk about your neighborhood. Today, yes. Right? My so neighborhood... What? They, I don't know, you know you're in the suburbs when you get a notice in your mailbox that invites you to join a neighborhood app where you're supposed to learn about the, you know, the any kind of events, any kind of, you know, tips and tricks around the neighborhood, like different kind of shop and restaurant recommendations, that kind of stuff. So it seemed like a good deal because I just moved here in October and I really like my neighborhood. So I figured, you know what? It's Corona times. I'll take this flyer and I'll follow, you know, the instructions and download the app and figure out what it's all about. And, you know, especially in times of Corona, we can't talk to one another, you know, like you're not going to interact with your neighbor in any capacity beyond like stay away from me or like, Hey, good morning kind of stuff. And so I got an alert on this, this app, it's called next door. And someone posed a question. I'll call her, I'll call her Fanny. <laughs> so Fanny asks, mask when strolling. Here's a dumb question. Are we supposed to be wearing masks when walking in our neighborhoods? In parentheses, while maintaining proper social distancing? I just want to say, I don't think that's a dumb question. I, yeah. A lot it's of people perfectly, have I just want to say, yeah. Fanny, you're being too honest. It, it's Fanny, not a dumb question. It's, it's, it's perfectly, asking. you know. She says, I haven't been, I haven't been since there are no crowded spaces here, but I want to be a good neighbor. Interested in responses. So... 46 comments later, and Ooh, now I want to <laughs> go through and tally up. I'll just read a, a, an excerpt real quick from each of them really quickly, like rapid fire, and we'll tally like 
who thinks we should wear a mask and who, who thinks we shouldn't. And then that'll be the decision maker for us on this podcast. So Ken says masks are optional while walking. So that is one for, I guess, no, you know, or should that be a yes or should it be a maybe? We'll do a maybe column. So Ken's a maybe. Um, and I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna keep a tally. Ken's a maybe. I got no maybe. Yes. I'm counting all <laughs> optionals as uh, as maybes. Barber says masks are not required, but he says gloves are a lot more important. And then Rhonda says gloves are a false sense of security. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, we'll say Laura says wear both, so masks and gloves, because you never know. And then Denise says, no dumb questions. And she says she wears gloves all the time, but no mask. And Christine to that says, very true heart. Robin says, some find that wearing gloves only cause spreading. Just sanitize your hands. Wait, they think wearing gloves causes spreading? Yes. How does that make so any sense? She goes on to say, meaning you are wearing gloves and touching everything. The items in, your, in the store, your car handle, your car wheel. So... She's saying that gloves increase spreading because you're not sanitizing your gloves and some people are reusing gloves. So in that case, Robin's like, got it, got it kind of, you know, squared away. Like it makes sense, but she doesn't speak about whether or not to wear a mask. So you, you put that tally where you want. <laughs> uh, not and answering the question is like a classic uh, <laughs> thing that people do on the internet. So uh, that's like its own field. Yeah. Actually, I, I, actually I'm going to add that one, not answering the question which I, by my account, there was already three of those. So. Okay. So Gina is another one. She says, I bring one just in case, in case you get stuck somewhere and you can't social distance. We're in the suburbs. Where are you going to be stuck? Okay. <laughs> That's a maybe. And then Rhonda replied to that and said, "Where? how do you carry it? If you just. <laughs> what? A mask? Then, yeah. How like, do you like, carry it? And then, not and then Gina responds to that and says a fanny pack. Why and don't you just have the mask on. <laughs> and then Laura comments in on this. She says, or a plastic bag. And then Gina says that they're hard to find, meaning the masks. And then Rhonda says, she doesn't dispute that, but she says, if you reuse a mask, carrying it safely will be difficult. No, it's not. You, what you clean the mask. <laughs> you can put, uh, depending on what the mask is made out of, right? Say you have like a cloth mask. If you want to easily clean it, uh, boil water. And then just put the mask in the in the boiling water for a little bit and take it out. If you are okay with cleaning Mike, it at a longer period of time. You're coming about this with rational thinking and logic. <laughs> this is not what this is about. This is a neighborhood brawl right now. On... Okay, fair enough. What's happening? <laughs> What's the tally right now? So far, two no, two maybe, one yes, four not answering the question. <laughs> Anant says, wear a mask. And he says you can get too close to someone or someone could sneeze or cough around you. And then Ed says, no, you don't have to. Karen says, agree, gloves can actually spread the virus. Nancy says, question for people about the gloves. Do you throw them away after you touch something? If no, then you could be spreading the virus. And then Laura again comes in on this and she says, of course, gloves should be thrown out before entering the home. So Laura's a person now we got, we can agree that She's been throwing her gloves outside the second she's done with them. And that's not good either because littering, my dog tries to pick up those and then I have to touch her disgusting gloves. So Carol says, I haven't been wearing a mask when walking my dog. And she makes a point to cross the street when she runs into anyone. 
And she says, until it's mandated, I'm not going to do it. And Kathy says, well, the governor again today said that people should be wearing their masks. She says that she'll, if you wear it, she says, if I were you, I'd wear it. So protect yourself and others. So she is a, yes. Sherry says the goal of mask is to prevent others from catching COVID. So it's considerate. It's not a huge deal to wear it temporarily. Okay. Yes, that sounds like a yes. That's an indirect yes. Yeah, but also, yes. I just want to add, that's not true. The the, the, <laughs> the goal isn't just, so we have a lot of data on this now. Uh, even wearing a bad mask reduces the amount of like air, um, like floating uh, like water particle air, I forget what this stuff's called, by like 60 to 70%. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, so if you're using like N95 masks, they're called that, it's because like 95% of the, fil- the stuff in the air filters out. But if you're, if you're using like, you know, cloth, a shirt, or, uh, or even just like a homemade mask. Yeah, it's not gonna be as good as an N95 or an N99 mask or whatever, but but it still will filter stuff out. It'll stop you from getting that the stuff. It's not just because you might have it in your asymptomatic. That's one reason. It's not the yeah. only reason. Like, <laughs> I, like just remember that. Like, re- remember that. <laughs> so that, you. To that point, Rhonda says no, that in an area, a lot of people, it makes sense. And um, in an area where there are few, it doesn't make sense. I think that's a sensible maybe. Yeah, so it's a maybe. Fanny says, thank you all to clear up everything. I mask whenever I go out for groceries, et cetera. I was only asking about walking in open space. I walk across the street when anyone's approaching gloves. I wear them occasionally. And I'm very aware of what I'm touching and discard them immediately if I do wear gloves. So she's just thanking everyone for- I kind of find the responses that assume that she's stupid and with the gloves, like kind of really offensive. Yeah. Like, oh, you don't need to wear gloves because people are really dumb and it's not important because they'll touch stuff. People touch stuff with their hands all the time. Yeah. If you have coronavirus on your hand, if you have coronavirus on your hands and not on your gloves and you get into your car, what are you doing? You're still touching and spreading coronavirus all over your car. Like, just because it's on the glove doesn't mean it's different than your hand. You still have to have the same sense- like, oh, yeah. man. Steve says, since many people start with uh, COVID without any symptoms, it shows an amount of respect for any people that might come into contact with you. So he is pro-mask. Someone just posted an article that says, should you wear a mask when exercising outdoors? I read this article a while ago, and they said you shouldn't because also it leads to breathing issues. Like I almost hyperventilate in the grocery store because I'm having like anxiety and I'm breathing like, you know, through my, I'm usually wearing a bandana. I'm not wearing a mask. I should get mask on, whatever. It is what it is. I'm using what I have available to me. So it doesn't make sense to run with a mask on because you put yourself in danger of passing out from lack of oxygen and you're overexerting your body. Like that's just my opinion. I'm not a doctor or a scientist or anything. I just run. So if I had anything over my mouth, like I would freak out. That's just me. And I'm not running and then coughing on people, you know, I'm social distancing. So that's just my opinion. If you're in a crowded area, like if I was in the city, I think it would make more sense and then I wouldn't run, but to each their own. Rhonda says she found that article earlier to look for a definite answer, but the article says like, yes and no, depends on where you are. Yeah. So you have to use the, 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 you know, what Emmanuel Kant called the faculty of critical thinking. Like you need to think about it. Like, am I in (laughs) an area that has like, what am I doing? Am I going to the grocery store or am I going to an area that has a, a, lot, a lot of people, of people. that are crowded or am I like walking in an empty park? Exactly. Um, am I walking around my neighborhood on the sidewalk and not interacting with anyone? So Yvonne says that she would 
wear one because she doesn't know if someone coughed or sneezed, this was a good one, while walking before you. We do not know how long the coronavirus lives after being expelled from the lungs. And then Rhonda agreed, she says, uh, or she disagreed. She said, yeah, we do know dot, dot, dot. It can live for at least a week and sometimes longer. Viruses are not alive. But in open air, it's not going to be floating around an inoculating dose unless you're standing face to face. On the other hand, you can pick it up on your shoes and carry it for a fairly long distance. I may not wear a mask when I get home, but I disinfect the shoe, the soles of my shoes. So maybe some misinformation being spread here. Who knows? Yeah, um, I, I remember seeing and reading about how uh, they found it was like a six to 12 feet radius of people when people were like walking around standing that the coronavirus kind of like yeah. spread from, from just them breathing. And uh, obviously with like wind and stuff, not like it's just statically staying in the air. So, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, I guess it's possible. I don't know. It's possible. I I don't know enough, but like, I don't know. Anything's possible in COVID times. And I do see a lot of my neighbors wearing, um, taking their shoes off before going in their house. I don't know if anyone else has seen that. Really? Yeah, we have, the the way my apartment's set up, there's like two doors to enter. Uh So like, for the first door, all of us take our shoes off because it just tracks dirt in otherwise. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm just, sometimes I'm nasty. And I have a dog anyway. I'm, you know, I can't take her paws off. Back to the show. Bob says, I see people wearing masks when driving in their car alone. What does this accomplish and is it legally required? Um, so that's not answering the question, Bob. What it accomplishes <laughs> is you put the mask on before you go out. <laughs> then you don't retouch your face to put a mask on. That's true. People are questioning that. And then Jeff says, it's not a dumb question. No, I don't think you need to wear a mask while walking around. Vern says the CDC for weeks told everyone not to wear masks at all. They lost credibility, in my opinion. Damn, I asked the question, but he's right. <laughs> <laughs> Janet, she doesn't say anything. She just comments on this. I don't know how to pronounce this guy. I'll just call him DJ. Says, CDC always says that if you are outside where people can be around, even me- even and even while maintaining a social distance, still it's recommended that you wear a mask as COVID-19 droplets may become airborne. When an infected person sneezes or coughs, however, walking in the neighborhood or park where hardly anyone is around, you don't have to wear a mask. So. Maybe optional. I found that. (laughs) That's like a situational Um, one. Yeah. Christine says, I always do. And then she put a heart. (laughs) Rich says from what New Brunswick mayor, I don't know if it's New Brunswick or North Brunswick mayor Walmack just said today. He says, you do not need to wear it. But you do have the social distance, so that's a that's a no. Vern comes back in, I think. I think Vern was in there earlier and said that I thought the number of times you remove, put on a mask when outside added to the risk since you will be touching on and around your face. Question mark? Question mark? Um, so yeah, it- Vern, don't take your mask on and off forty <laughs> times when you, when you're outside. It also inadvertently answers the question to the guy who's like, "Why would you drive around with a mask on?" Yeah. Laura says, does it hurt for people to wear one? This is why we've had so many deaths due to the virus. It may not be mandated, but if you don't want to spread the virus, just wear one. Be safe. And Rhonda says to that, social distancing and hand washing may be um, more important than masks. She says, I just want everyone to stay away from me until, as I stay away from them, unless we all get in the habit of keeping apart, we will not stop the spreading of the virus. Correct. But like, where are we at in the tally now? Oh, man. Okay. So the no's we have, are... We have one last one that says... All right. Go, yeah, from, yeah, go. From Vern again. But my comment, she says, I agree. Or he says, I agree. 
Um, but my comment really stems back from what the mayor said. You don't need to wear it. You just have to be six feet and social distance. This is both incorrect according to science, not practical, and will definitely lead to more cases. Proactive versus reactive. Reactive always fails. So what's the tallying? That's the end of it. All right, let me count them up. No's are five. Eight maybes or optionals are four. The uh, yes, you should wear it are seven. And I think the clear winner is not answering the question at eight. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. I, I just would like to uh, add one serious thing about wearing masks. According to my neighborhood, no one knows. Yeah. So maybe the best place for finding information about this, while it is interesting to wonder what your neighbors are doing and maybe to try to affect in a positive way. Maybe when you have these conversations, you should try to bring some facts with you from reputable sources to explain why or why not wearing a mask is useful. So I, I have some information about masks in general that have data. So basically, a lot of countries recently have instituted wearing masks, right? So you have, and, and some of them told that they don't need to, so in, in Europe, the UK has repeatedly told their citizens that they don't need to wear face masks because there's no evidence they work, which is a phrase a lot of people love to use. And I think they use it incorrectly because uh, lack of evidence is an evidence of absence. So then they'll say, yeah, but there's a lot of decent data from mask wearing countries that actually do suggest that they've halted major outbreaks. For instance, in Austria, they saw their daily infections plummet by 90% after making uh, mask wearing compulsory. In Czech Republic, Slovakia, Japan, and South Korea, that they've actually evaded full-blown crises, and those are countries where mask wearing in public is, is mandatory. Austria is a great, great example because they actually managed to reverse its crisis by making masks compulsory on April 6, which because in March they had a huge spike of infections in late March. Right after they made the mask infections, the amount of uh, masks mandatory, the amount of infections they had uh, decreased. So you even, I even have some numbers here. So the Czech Republic and Slovakia were the first two countries in Europe to issue decrees making masks compulsory, and they have tiny infection rates per capita. So just 63 Czechs per 100,000 have been infected, and less than two per 100,000 have died from the virus. In Slovakia, 21 per 100,000 have been caught, and just 0.2 uh, per 100,000 have succumbed to the illness. By comparison, in Britain, 182 out of every 100,000 Britons have been infected, and 25 per 100,000 have been fallen victim. And we see these similar pattern, patterns in mask-wearing countries uh, like South Korea and Japan. And I think South Korea, Japan, and Taiwan are excellent examples because they're right next to China. They have a culture of wearing masks that we've mocked for decades. And <laughs> they have evaded full-blown crises. And so, I don't know. With information like that, I would lean to, it's, yes, you have to wear a mask. But... That's just to me if you if you think you're likely going to run into people. I live in an area where I can walk and easily evade anybody. Yeah. Right? So like going to a park, it's not very frequented. So if I'm going for a walk through there, I'm not going to yeah. wear a mask just because I'm not going to I'm not going to run into anybody. Like, literally, like literally I'm not going to see anybody. Yeah. But if you're living in a place where you do see people and it's just, very close contact, close quarters, then wear a mask. Just wear a mask. Just wear wear a mask. Like Yeah. Like it works. It works. Like all, we have evidence that it, that it that it works. Well, that's that wraps up my segment. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, I jump in there. I just like drives me. No, nuts. it's good. It's we want to bring we want to bring the facts to our to our listeners, and I want to bring the facts to my neighborhood. If anyone's listening, I'm not trying to make fun of anyone or call anyone out. It's just we live in the burbs where social distancing 
If you want to wear a mask and that makes you feel better, then wear a mask. Don't shame people for not wearing a mask when they're walking outside by themselves. You know, also don't shame them for wearing masks and gloves. That's the weirdest exactly. thing. Exactly. Yeah. Seen. That's just, you know, it's basically yeah. like Facebook, but for our neighborhood. And yeah. th- this is exactly why I left Facebook in the first place. Um, yeah. But I want to know when there's a block party when this opens up. So I joined. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm going to talk about why are millennials leaving New Jersey? And it, it's, it's a fact we are we are leaving New Jersey. <laughs> so New Jersey's becoming an older an older state every year. From 2000 to 2013, the number of 22 to 34 year olds living in New Jersey fell by 2.3 percent, according to the census data. Even while the number of people in this age bracket increased by 6.8 percent nationally during the same time frame, according to a calculation used by Governing. Using census estimates, New Jersey ranked 47th out of 50 states and Washington, D.C. for its percentage of millennials in 2012. And there was a really good report that was done by njfuture.org, where they actually, this was in 2017, they wanted to kind of figure out why why is this happening. So I'm going to read some of the results from the report. And I'd like. Does it have anything to do with avocado toast? Yeah. So <laughs> apparently we have bad avocado toast. Uh, so we're fleeing. growing elsewhere. Yeah. That that's it. So like actually before I read the report, like what are some of the reasons you think people are leaving New Jersey millennials? Housing prices, the job market, the transit options, like you have to have a car in most places of New Jersey. Other yeah. states are becoming more attractive in that they're offering different kinds of housing prices for millennials, for first time home buyers, and some States are actually paying millennials to stay in like even some countries, even I forgot what country in Europe is offering people to they're going to pay you to live there, basically, for a number of reasons, whether it's they their population's dying down or they don't have enough diversity, meaning like they're like a few generations removed from the same you know, ancestor. Um, that's happened in some remote areas. <laughs> so yeah. I think all these different things are possibly attributing to this. Yeah, I think a lot of people are thinking, so like I know I am like, oh, you know, I like living in New Jersey, but um, I also kind of hate it because it's like super expensive to live in and the job opportunities aren't always great. Most most people, are not most, a lot of people work outside of New Jersey, but live in New Jersey. And it comes a point where it's like, why would you want to commute just extra time? So that, so like jobs start bringing people out into other states and other areas. And then also the same things that you mentioned about just wanting to live elsewhere. So like, I was, I was curious if that's like most reasons why people want to live in New Jersey or want to leave New Jersey millennials. And yeah. the report was kind of surprising. So it said that I'm quoting from it. The results of the report show that concentrations of younger people are indeed drawn to the state's more compact, walkable downtowns and cities, while older residents are more apt to live in car-centric suburbs. New Jersey's millennial population is declining, even as the number of young adults is spiking nationally, indicating that the state may not be optimally equipped to take advantage of this young generation's lifestyle preferences. Meanwhile, New Jersey endowed, is endowed with an oversupply of single-family homes on large lots, particularly in places that are dependent on driving. Our suburban sprawl may have been attracted to the baby boom generation, which was the first generation to grow up there, 
but questions arise about what happens to these car-dependent places when many of their residents get old enough that they no longer want to maintain a large home nor have the desire or the ability to drive everywhere, and when younger generations appear uninterested in moving in to replace them. So there's like two, I think, things worth unpacking there. First was that it seems that, to me at least, this seems true. Millennials have different preferences from the older generations. The older generations wanted that large house in the suburbs with like property to maintain. Millennials don't seem to want that. They want like walkable downtowns and cities and things that are closer so they don't have to drive as much. And the other thing is I thought was interesting, I didn't even think about this, which what uh, beforehand was those preferences means that within like a generation or two, what's going to happen to a lot of these towns that exist, right? Like millennials leaving them older people either moving into like nursing homes or like dying out and then you have like properties that nobody wants to buy state with high property values and stuff like that it, it's crazy you know like like what like like what's going to happen to a lot of these older areas I, I don't know so some of it some of the reasons why millennials aren't living in these areas is, is obviously just because they're too expensive millennials you know we we, we just talked about earlier we have like a lot of student loan debt wages have stagnated for decades it's not a good time to live and very it's a very hard time <laughs> to live in a historical sense and um we have COVID 19. so like it's a lot of, a lot of things factors are coming in obviously obviously in 2017 in this report was on there wasn't COVID, but so some areas are just too expensive so like for example like hawthorne cranford uh, Montclair, Tottawa, South Orange, Kenilworth, Maplewood, Leonia, uh, River Edge, Pennington, Englewood, Cliffs. These all like probably don't have a lot of millennials because they're extremely expensive places to live in New Jersey. And they are also places that are oversupplied with single family detached housing, the exact kind of stuff that like millennials don't want to buy at all. But the report also said that even a healthy diversity of housing options, as there is in like Montclair, where single family detached homes are, the percentage of them are not particularly high is not necessarily a guarantee that the housing will be affordable to younger people just starting out. In some places, there's like a high demand for compact, walkable, mixed-use centers is outstripping the supply of appropriate housing, which is driving prices up. Other municipalities may simply be lacking some of the hard-to-quantify urban amenities that young adults are looking for, like art and entertainment venues, coffee houses, restaurants, and other retail establishments, or as I call it, things to do if you're not bored in the suburbs. <laughs> Which is frankly like one of the things I've always thought was hard to articulate. Like I live in an area in South Jersey, which isn't necessarily devoid of things to do in comparison to say, like, I don't live in the Pine Barrens. But like if I want to go get decent food, I have to drive for like 30 or 40 uh, minutes. If I want to go see a movie it's it, it takes it's 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 a, it's a drive it takes a while if i want to go do like anything at all it takes it's a drive besides just like walking in my park that's that's near my apartment and i've always said like there's nothing to do in new jersey which doesn't make sense if, in, in a certain sense right because like we're a density there's a lot of things, state, yeah. a lot of things things there but like it's out of the reach of like the majority of places yeah. yeah like if i want to go to a bar even if i want to go to a bar it's not like bars that like line my apartment area i have to like drive or get an uber which then limits my ability of of doing these things and i think a lot of millennials don't want that like i'm not alone in that like we do we don't want to have the just drive everywhere lifestyle that seems so excessive and wasteful we want to yeah. like live in an actual community not like these weird suburban areas that are like just, artificially constructed, but not even constructed in a way that builds a community. Yeah, and it's like very a, like, isolating. Like, it is. Yeah. Like the neighborhood app, you know what I mean? Like, would I have, I don't know if I would have ever chosen to live in the suburbs. I mean, I'm a mill. I, the only reason why I moved here was because I lived in a high-rise apartment that was 
super expensive. And this location opened up because of my, um, my connection to the landlord. And I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for saving money because I'm a mill and I have student loan debt and just accessibility to public transit. You know, I do have a car, but I would commute into the city. So it's, you know, you're kind of, you know, SOL if you're in, you know, South Jersey where public transit is mostly just the buses and you don't. And they're in, they're infrequent. They're infrequent. And it's also, you know, it sucks to ride the bus. Like it just does. <laughs> like you have yeah, to unless sit. Unless you're like the... in a city. Like I lived in Chicago briefly and cities generally have like large cities like Chicago or New York, like decent public transportation. So you can like use them to get around in yeah. like suburbs that it's, we don't fund public, public trans transportation yeah. well. So it's and like. It's also what happens in the suburbs is we're all mills that we know the the tales of those times is if you are bored as a teen and you're in the suburbs of New Jersey, you're going to have half your friends that just escape and then half your friends that just stay in your town and they get addicted to drugs or they become alcoholics because there's nothing else to do. And that was always my fear of the suburbs is like, if there's nothing else to do, then what am I going to do? <laughs> like, what is easy for me to do in my house? Oh, uh, smoke weed and, and drink, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's interesting how there's different generational preferences. So, like, the report said that today's retirees are disproportionately living in places with land use characteristics that aren't conducive to getting around without a car. And this situation is likely to be exasperated as the rest of the baby boom ages into retirement. And it's just interesting to me because that does seem to be true. A lot of people wanted to live in communities like these. But I know they said that it's hard to quantify uh amenities or whatever it's like well you know it's not hard to quantify it's it's you 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 want nice things like it's not even necessarily materialistic like it's enjoyable to go to a cafe that you could walk to or like bars that are within like recent a uh, decent reach cultural things like if there's a local theater or things like that 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 those are enjoyable things to have around you Sub suburbs in the united states at least at least in new jersey aren't constructed like that because they're constructed to be next to highways. So like there aren't actually, they're not like actually built. I think it's possible maybe to have, if there was like actual planning, like, like, you know, urban planning or like suburban planning, like you could yeah. build a suburb that's like an old town community. So like there's a couple of places you can see the difference here. There's a couple of places in my area where the town's older, like they date back to like the colonial revolution. Like they're like that old. And yeah. you can see that they have like a natural town center that from which like uh, housing like exists like around it. So people can like walk to where the town centers are, where there's like shops, bars and other things. But like in a newer town from that weird like 50s to to like 80s like building style where this is huge, houses. like they take farmland <laughs> and just turn it into like huge identical style houses over and over again. Or like, you know, large apartment arises. Yeah, uh, there's like you then have to use a car to get everywhere. Exactly. I think like I think it's actually a good thing that we're moving away from that because I think that was like a very wasteful style of building. Yeah, because it doesn't <laughs> make any it doesn't make any sense. It didn't make any sense for a community. It doesn't make any sense for long term planning. The only appeal is that you're isolating yourself and your family from anything. Right. It's just so bizarre. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I thought that was that was an interesting report because it just kind of summed up how I thought about. The stuff, but I couldn't like 
actually articulate it. it. <laughs> articulate it. Yeah. Like it was hard. It was like, yeah, there's nothing to do. But yeah. then I'm like thinking about it, like, yeah, there's things to do. How do I word it? And it's like, oh, here it is. Yeah, guy, there's like, things to do, but it's saying, also like, you don't want to drive. And I'm yeah. like, yeah. That's it. <laughs> That's it. That's it. And I'm not That's alone. it, man. It's like, it looks like most of us don't want to. Yeah, the non-essential things that you know define our lives now. But it's I don't know. We could we could go into like the anthropological explanation of why the suburbs was created and how it's come to what it is today. It's like the mall's dying out. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the suburbs are kind of dying out and you're the ones that are thriving or the in New Jersey at least are the ones that have a nice downtown area that's a walkable distance from the the housing, the residential area. Like there's exactly. supposed to be a commercial and a residential area and it's not supposed to be disrupted. And one of the towns I grew up in, in New Jersey, we had a highway just split the two. So you couldn't, if you didn't have a job as a teen, you couldn't get a job until you got a car, but you couldn't get a car unless you had a job or your parents paid for it. You know what I mean? So exactly, it was this vicious cycle of you're kind of handicapped right off the bat by being a member of that community. And, you know, you just become a wandering vagrant like I was when I was a teen until I escaped. So <laughs> gotcha. Well, another time we're going to have to dig into the anthropological and economic reasons why these uh, strange artificial suburbs exist with like lack of lack of communities. But Beautiful we're kind of out of time. Yeah. Um, so I want to thank listeners for well coming in, tuning in, and listening, again this week and listening, <laughs> and doing what they do best. And if you haven't already, you need to check out our uh, Twitter account at Jersey underscore, underscore matters. matters. Also check out uh, our Instagram, uh, Jersey Matters Podcast, and our website, which is jerseymatterspodcast.com. And also, please leave us a review on iTunes. We need to beat NJ101.5 because we're just, frankly, better than them. And uh, In every so, yeah, way possible. every way possible. We're funnier. <laughs> we're more informative. We don't have as much music. That's No. That's true. That's, a down- that's where they win. They win. Yeah. <laughs> so you can give us four stars because we don't yeah. play them. So, yeah, thank you for listening. Signing off. I'm Mike Prina. I'm Casey McLean. Goodbye. <laughs>